Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning. In fact, you know, we're celebrating Mother's Day, but let me just kind of back up for a minute on that. And like today really for us is a day to celebrate all of our ladies because we know there's maybe ladies in the room that couldn't have kids or ladies in the room that are, but they're incredible aunts or the incredible influences. And so today we want to celebrate all the ladies. I can't think of the, the number of ladies in my life that was not my mother. I have an incredible mother but ladies in my life that have influenced me. So all ladies in the room, thank you for your investment. Thank you for the influence that you've had on somebody's life. And so for all of our adult ladies, when you leave today, if you didn't pick one up when you got in, we have a flower for you on the way out. So make sure you pick that up. All right. Now today we're going to continue in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're kind of on the final descent of the book of Galatians. We'll wrap it up next week. But this week we're going to be in the first few uh, verses of chapter 6. Now what what we've seen so far to kind of bring us up to speed has been pretty amazing. We've seen the Apostle Paul offer several different kinds of arguments to the churches in the area of Galatia, reminding them that our faith, our salvation, as well as our right standing with God does not come through works or keeping the law. It comes through faith. And he argued it from several different angles. And then he comes along and he reminds us as believers that if you have faith in Christ, that we are free. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That for you and I as believers in Jesus, we have been set free from the penalty, the power, and, and all that has to do with sin. We've been set free from that. And we're, yet, we're set free to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. But Paul warns us in that freedom that you have that you should celebrate, don't use it to feed the flesh. Don't use that freedom to, to gratify the desires of the flesh. And so the Apostle Paul, we spent the last two weeks of him unpacking exactly what are the works of the flesh. And then last week we talked about what is produced in the life of a believer who truly walks by the Spirit. And so we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Now today, Paul's going to shift gears, and I love it, and I thought it's so appropriate for parent-child dedication for Mom Mother's Day, because in this passage today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul talk to the church of Galatia and remind them how the church of God, how the family of God is designed to function. So how does a family of believers, how are they to function as a family? So if you have your Bibles, chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and as we look at it, I, there's two things I want you to notice with me this morning. Two things that Paul is going to say that we really need to be part of the family of God. And the first one's found in the first five verses. So if you don't mind, let's all stand together again as we honor the reading of God's word. How does the family of God function? Two things. Here's the first one found in verse one through five. Chapter six, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let no one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each of you will bear his own load. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, there's so much here today. May you help us open our eyes to what we need to see. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want us to notice this morning is found in those five verses. And the first thing I think we need to understand, how is a family to function? How does a family of God function? The first thing is we are called to help a brother or sister in need. We are called to that. 
as the body of Christ, when we have someone that is in trouble, we are called to help a brother or sister in need. Now, in this passage, these five verses, he gives us two specific areas where people are going to have needs. Now, it's interesting when you study this, there are a lot of areas that people have needs, right? So why these two? Because he's not been exhaustive. So why these two? And I believe it's because these are two that people have needs that most believers go, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Because these are complicated. These are messy. These are going to require something of me I don't know if I want to do. So the two needs that he says that we need to be willing to meet of a brother, here's the first one. Restore a fallen brother. Someone who's fallen into sin Our responsibility is to restore a fallen brother. Look at what it says in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He says, listen, as a believer, part of the family of God, if a believer, if someone you know has fallen into sin, it is our responsibility to go pick them up. It's our responsibility to go and to restore them. It's our responsibility not to write them off, but to go invest them. Now, if you've been in church a while and you've been around people a while and you have a lot of relationships, you've obviously come across somebody who's fallen into sin. Somebody you know that loves Jesus, but yet they had a moment of bad decisions, a moment of maybe walking away a little bit, a moment of not spending time with God, and they have fallen into sin. And I can tell you what in most cases happens. I'm just going to pray for them. Pray they come back. And prayer's great. But Paul says, as the family of God, we're to do what? Restore them. Go after them. Don't let them just kind of wither away. We're called to do that. Now, what I love about Paul here, he reminds us that this is a responsibility of the family of God. That if a brother or sister has fallen into sin, it's our responsibility to restore them. But Paul does something fascinating. He gives us some indicators. He gives us some things that we need to know. First of all, he tells us when we should go. And you pick up what he said, if anyone has been caught, you might want to underline that in your scripture, who's been caught, that means when should we go restore a brother when, or sister when they have been caught? Now that word caught just simply means when it is obvious and it has become evident. So if someone brings to you speculation, that doesn't count. That's not what we're talking about. When it's obvious or evident or you've caught them who've fallen into sin, that's when we should go. Don't speculate. Well, you know, I didn't go talk to them because I've heard, ah, wrong answer. No, no, no. It's obvious, it's apparent, or I saw it. That's when we should go. But then he also tells us who should go. And I know what you're thinking. I hope it's not me. I hope it's not me. I hope it's not me. He says, those who are what? Spiritual. Now, I know what some of you are saying in the room. Well, that totally exempts me out right now, right? Because I'm going to say, no, 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 listen, listen. If you think that exempts you out, that means you've got work to do in your faith. Because what, it mean, what does it mean to be spiritual? Does it mean having all the answers? No. We know from the last chapter what it means to be spiritual. Those who are walking by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit. Those who are keeping in step with the Spirit. Those who have said, I'm not going to live according to the flesh, but I'm going to invest and pour into my relationship with Jesus. And every move I make, I'm going to make with his leadership and the Holy Spirit guiding my thoughts and my direction. That's who it is to be spiritual. He says, those people are the ones 
They're to go. Those who are spiritual, those who have already examined their own hearts. Now, let me give an example. Jesus said it best because in Matthew chapter 7, you've probably heard it said that, you know, we are not called to judge people. Anybody ever heard that said before? We're not supposed to judge people. Anybody? Only three of you have heard that said before. Okay. Well, whoever told you that was absolutely wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now, if you mean judgment from the sense of you going casting your opinions and your biasness and condemning them because of how you feel, that's wrong. But when you go and know that they are violating the truth of God's word and you go in a loving way and confront them, that's called rebuke. And we're called to do that. But in chapter 7, Jesus says, listen, hey, before you go help a brother, let me tell you what you do. You go take the log out of your eye first so you can go help them with the speck in their eye. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because listen, I don't know about you, but just take, take the imagery Jesus gives. Imagine a log hanging out of my eye. How well am I going to see the speck in your eye if a log is dangling out of my eye? Would you want me working on your eye if a log's hanging out of my eye? Not, not, not a trick question. Would you want me to work on you if a log's hanging out of my eye? Absolutely not. So Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. Meaning what? Your sin is pretty heinous too. Deal with your sin first. And then go help the brother. Why would he say that? Because when I take moments and I deal with my sin first, guess what? I'm reminded of his grace. I'm reminded of his mercy. I'm reminded of his love. And guess what? Now when I go, guess what I'm going to go? With grace and mercy and compassion, right? So he says, I want those of you, when do you go? When they're caught, who should go? Those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are walking, who've already self-examined, because those are the ones who are most positioned to demonstrate and show God's love for them. Who should go? Those who are spiritual. And then he tells us what approach we should take. Look what he says again in verse one. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. How about you? How many of you parents in the room, since it's Mother's Day, we'll talk about parental stuff. How many of you parents in the room, when you discipline your kids, view your discipline as a means of gentleness? Anybody? Awesome. How many of you like Doug and struggle with a little bit of anger mixed in with your discipline? Okay, all the guys. All the guys are like, that was us, right? And so he said, I want you to go with a spirit of gentleness. Now here's the point. Oftentimes when we go... We go with a harsh spirit. People go with a condemning spirit. Now, I can tell you why I think that's the case. I think people typically go with a condemning spirit is because they'd rather get mad over your sin than their own sin. That's kind of what I think. But we go with a harsh spirit. And what he says, I want you to go with gentleness. In other words, when you take the log out of your eye, there's going to be a tenderness about you. So when you go, you are going to be tender. Go with the spirit of gentleness. Go with the spirit of compassion and mercy and kindness. So he tells us, when should we go when they're caught? Who should go? Those are spiritual. How should we go with gentleness? And then he tells us, what is the goal? He says this, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual gentleness. Always when we go to a brother or sister who've fallen into sin, our goal number one above everything else is restoration. To see them come back to the faith. To see them come back to a pursuit of Jesus. Now here's why I'm saying that. Some of you maybe have been 
that prodigal who fell into sin. And what you got wasn't someone coming to restore you. You got somebody coming to condemn you. And I'm just telling you, they didn't do it Jesus' way. They did not do it the way the scriptures tell us to do it. But I'm telling you, it is biblical for us when someone has fallen into sin. The way we help a brother is when someone's our sister, when they've fallen into sin, is that we go to them at the right time, the right person, with the right heart, with the right goal. Restoration. Now, the interesting thing is this, is that he offers a warning here at the end. I love this. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, why would he say that? Now, remember, the fallen brother or sister, they're still in sin, right? And he's like, listen, if you're not spiritual, if you're not the spiritual one, you're not walking with God, and you go and you go with the wrong spirit, it's really easy for you to get sucked in. It's really easy for them to pull you into the pit that they're falling into. So I want you to be aware, if you go at the right time, and you go because you're the right person, and you go with the right attitude, and you go with the right goal of restoration, you need to be on guard because it can pull you in too. So you better be walking with me. You better be leaning on me. You better be prayed up and ready to do battle. Why is this important? If we're going to help a brother or sister in Christ, if we're going to function as the family of God, you know, you hear me talk about this a lot, that we are not just a church, we're a what? We're a family, right? I know I feel like a mafia guy, right? But we're family. All of us are family in the room. We treat you as family. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love you like I love my family. And it's important for family to know how are we going to function as a family? Because listen, as we continue to grow and as God continues to bless us, we're going to have people in our midst, maybe in this very room, who are going to fall into sin. What are we going to do with them? Are we going to write them off? Or we're going to go, well, I'm going to pray for them, and I hope they return. No, no, we're going to go after them. We're going to chase them down. We're not going to let them fall off the radar. We're not going to let them fall through the cracks. Why? Because we want to see them restored. And listen, one way that we help our brother and sister in Christ is we have a heart to restore them when they've fallen. Another way we help a brother or sister in Christ is not only restore a fallen brother, but secondly is to bear one another's burdens. Look with me in verse 2 again. Verse 2, he says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let no one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, there's a lot here, but here's what I want you to know. He says, if we're going to be a family who helps one another. Yeah, we've got to restore the fallen brother or sister, but we've got to be willing to bear one another's burdens. And that word burdens in the Greek language translates heavy weight. Now, we've talked about this maybe a couple years ago, and I want to kind of use the same illustration again. We talked about there's boulder issues in life, and there's backpack issues in life. Like, for example, if I had a boulder up here, like half the size of the stage, could I lift it by myself? You have a lot of faith in me, don't you? Could I lift it by myself? No, there's no way. So what would I have to do? I could ask for help. Hey, Riley, could you come help me? Hey, Nancy, could you come help me? Hey, hey, Alex, could you come? I mean, I would have to have help, wouldn't I? See, we have bolder issues in our life too, spiritually. Can I tell you what some of those are? Some of those are death, divorce, loss of a job, disease, 
And the list could go on and on and on, couldn't it? We've had moments in our life. Things have happened. And those are burdens. And we need to help carry other people's burdens. Listen, if you've gone through a divorce, you can't carry it alone. If you've experienced a death, you can't carry it alone. If you've got a disease you're wrestling with, you can't carry it alone. If you've lost your job, don't carry it alone. We are called to bear one another's burdens. It doesn't just mean have empathy for someone. It means I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to help you lift the boulder, and I'm going to help you carry it. Probably the best biblical example is in Exodus chapter 17. Moses is at a battleground. They're fighting the Amalekites. And he's sitting there and he's holding up his hands. And as his hands are held up, they're winning the battle. But when his hands came down, guess what would happen? They start losing. And so they'd hold them up, they'd win. Put them down, they'd lose. Hold them up, they'd win. Put them down, they would lose. And so Aaron recognized it. And so Aaron and Ur went up there. And when Moses got tired and couldn't hold his hands up any longer, guess what they did? They held him up for him. And Israel won the battle. There's people in this room that's got some bolder issues today. And you need to ask for some help. Can I, just, can, I, can I speak something into you? You need to ask for help. Stop trying to do it on your own. It's stressing you out, weighing you down. And it's leading you to a place of despair. Let somebody help you. But we're called as believers to come along and help hold them up. Like Aaron and Ur held up the hands of Moses. We're coming along and hold up that boulder and help them walk through whatever boulder their issue is. And he says, listen, when we do that, when we actually do that, bear one another's burdens, he said, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's John 13, 34. As I have loved you... You love one another. And when we bear one another's burdens, what are we doing? We are loving other people. We are supporting other people because the love we have for Christ and for them. And listen, church, if we're going to help a brother or sister in need, yes, we need to go be willing to restore a brother or sister who's fallen. But we need to be committed to bear one of those burdens. When we find out that people have gone through some stuff, let's rally around them. Let's help lift up their, not just their arms, metaphorically, but their spirits and their souls. And let's be there for them. Let's be present for them. But he ends something interesting that I want to give some clarity. He says this, but for each, you'll have to bear your own load. Now, what is a load? I thought we're told to, to bear their burdens. We are. Burdens are bolder issues, big things. But we all have to bear our own load. And we call these backpack issues. What are backpack issues? Crisis of faith. Searching for peace. Longing for joy. Hey, listen, I love you, but I can't carry those for you. I can't fix your crisis of faith. I can't give you the peace that you're searching for. I can't give you the joy that you hope for. But what I can do is point you to the person who can give it to you. And his name is Jesus. So if you've got somebody that comes to you and they're having a crisis of faith or they're angry with God or they're hurting or they're looking for peace or they're looking for joy, they've got to carry that backpack themselves. You can't carry it. The reason I mention is because too many of us are carrying people's backpacks and we're not carrying their boulders. You can't carry their faith issues. You can't carry their peace issues. You can't carry their joy issues. But what you can do is point them to the one who can, who's Jesus. But what we can do is carry their boulder issues. We can walk a journey with them, support them through divorce, support them through death, support them through disease, support them through a loss of a job. Whatever it is, we can support them. So if we're going to help a brother in need, we need to be willing to bear 
one of those burdens. And here's the second thing I want you to notice. It's found in verse 6 through 10. Look at me, verse 6 through 10. Here's what Paul says. First and foremost, if we're going to be a family and function like a family, we need to make sure we help those in need through going to those, restoring those who have fallen, but also bearing one of those burdens. But here's the second thing we need to do. Look at me, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he also will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of faith. Here's the second thing he says as a family. If we're going to function as a family, we've got to be willing to help other people in need. Second of all, he says, we need to have a heart to do good. Have heart to do good. It's interesting that Paul would use a metaphor here. Let's go back to verse 7. He uses this metaphor to kind of set this thing up. He says, do not be deceived. God does not mock for whatever you sow, you also will reap. So if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap eternal life. Now, this is something they would have known. He just spent five chapters fleshing that out, hasn't he? You guys act like you're going to live this way. Here's the result of that. So Paul, it's like almost like Paul's like, okay, here's the conclusion you can come through from the, from the letter I've written you up to this point. Here's what you all know. What you sow, you also shall what? Reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. We've talked about this. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. We've talked about this. So he's like, listen, what you sow matters. So what are they called to sow here? goodness. I want you to sow goodness. I want you to bless people. I want you to minister to people. I want you to love people. I want you to sow goodness. And his three things he tells us about sowing goodness. He says, first of all, sow goodness to those who teach you truth. Now, it's interesting, so much of this book has been Paul battling false teachers, right? Like, hey, they're teaching you a wrong doctrine, they're teaching you a wrong gospel, they're taking you down a wrong trail, but now he kind of flips and says, listen, but there are those teaching you truth. Bless them. Be good to them. Let me tell you who that would be in our church. If you're a part of a small group, you have leaders who every week prepare a small group lesson. Every week they get before God and they pray and they seek God's wisdom to be able to rightly divide God's truth in your group every single week. They are teaching you truth. Bless them. Be good to them. He says, be good, sow goodness to those who teach truth. And then he also says, secondly, don't grow weary in doing good. Now, just just be carnal for a moment, all right? When you've intentionally done good for people and it's not reciprocated and not given back to you, is it easy to get weary? Come on, anybody? It is, isn't it? But Paul says, don't stop. Don't stop. Because Why are you being good? It's because God wants you to. Your goodness is a reflection of his love for them. So he's like, listen, I know it's easy to get weary, but don't get weary. Keep blessing people. Keep ministering to people. Keep loving other people. Don't stop doing good. And the last thing he says is do good to everyone, but especially believers. Those are the household of faith. Now, I find this interesting 
but I think it's very true. We would say around here at our East Campus that we are very service-minded, that we want to love on our community, and I think we do an incredible job with that. Do you believe that as a church, that we serve in a good way? I think we do. But when we seek to serve a community, we must make sure that our goodness that we're giving out, we don't neglect those people that are in the very room with which we sit today. I don't know about you, but everybody in this room needs some goodness in their life. Everybody in this room needs to be blessed by someone. Everybody in this room needs to be ministered to by someone. Everybody in this room needs to be loved by someone. Everybody in this room who loves Jesus, we need as much as the lost world to experience the goodness. So Paul says, listen, as you're showing goodness to the world, don't forget to especially show goodness to the household of faith. So Paul says, listen, if we're going to function as a family, if the body of Christ is going to function as a family, two things you have to do. You have to be willing to help a brother or sister. Help them if they're in need. That means going to restore them if they've fallen. That means bearing their burdens if, if, if they have them. But also the second thing we're called to do is to have a heart to do good. To bless those who teach us truth. To not grow tired in doing good, but also make sure that we're not only being good to the world around us, but let's be good to the people in the room today, right now. Now, why is this so important? Why is this passage meaningful to us? Here's why. Because when we do this, as the body of Christ, as the family of God, it makes us whole and it makes us healthy. Doug, what does a healthy church look like? That's it. That's it. A church who's willing to meet the needs of the body. A church who's willing to do good to other people. What does a healthy church look like? That's it. So I want to ask you this morning, as we close, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you commit, I'm going to ask you some hard questions, would you commit, if it happens and you know it happens in the right conditions, to go and restore a fallen brother or sister in Christ with the goal to bring them back? Would you commit to that today, believer? Would you commit, if you know someone's got some burdens, to not just be standoffish from a distance, yes, pray for them but that you would be active in it and that you would come alongside them and it's like Moses holding his hands up, that you would come along and hold them up and help carry their burdens? Would you make that commitment? Would you make a commitment to do good, to not get tired, to bless people, to minister to people, to love people, and make sure you do it to people that are in this very room this morning. This is your family. Let's live on our family. Would you make that commitment? Here's why these commitments are important. You ready? Because I want to be a church that is whole and healthy. And this is what it's going to take. Now, this morning, maybe you're going through some stuff. Maybe you've got some things that burden you down. Maybe you've got some sin that you've not dealt with in your life. This altar is going to be open. You can come and you can pray and you can seek God's direction. This altar is open. If you're here this morning and you're not part of the family of God, you've never given your life to Christ, can I tell you, you're missing out. Because what God has for you is incredible. He has a life waiting for you, an eternal life in heaven with him that's beyond imagination, but he also has an eternal life that begins right now where you get to enjoy being part of a body of Christ, enjoy being around a group of believers who will love you, care for you, and teach you what it means to love and to know and to follow Jesus. And if you're not part of the family of God today, you have a chance to say yes to him, surrender to him, 
and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I invite you to be the boss and the master of my life. Forgive me my sins. Come into my life and change me. If you'll do that, you can be part of the family of God. Last of all, believers, my prayer, as you've taken in all that Paul has said this morning, is that we would let this next song be a motivation for us to pray blessing, provision, protection over people. But let's just not stop praying it over them. Let's go show them and be with them, encourage them, and support them. Let's all stand together if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand together. God, I love you. I thank you for today. God, this passage is so rich. And I just pray that for those that are believers that East Campus is their home and their family, that you would convict us today, Lord. That if we're going to be whole and healthy as a body, as a family, we've got to be willing to meet the needs of people around us. That's what they did in Acts. And it says, and you add it to the numbers daily because there's something about a body caring for itself that's attractive to a lost world. God, may that be us. Now, it may not be in the areas that Paul mentioned. Maybe other needs that we got to meet. But God, if we will have a commitment to make the tough decision of like going to a brother or sister who's fallen into sin or going to someone who's got some real burdens they're bearing and, and walking with that, if we'll make a commitment to do those things, God, it'll be so much easier to make commitment to meet other needs we have. So God, I pray for believers today that we realize if we're going to be healthy and whole, We've got to have a commitment to help those in need. We've got to have a heart to do good, to bless people, to minister to people, to just love on people. God, I have been blown away by the goodness this church has shown me over the last almost five years. God, I pray that we would show it to each other. And then, God, I pray for the person who doesn't know you, who's heard this talk about family but it's not in the family, that today, right now, let it not be my words, but their words. The Lord Jesus, they would just say at this moment that they know that they're a sinner. They believe you died on the cross. And they ask you to come into their life, forgive them of their sins, and be their Lord and Savior. God, if they will do that, you will change their eternity right now. In this moment, they will pass from death to life. So God, I pray for this moment. I pray as we sing that this song might be a reflection of our heart. But God, I do pray for those that need to come to the altar, those that need to come and truly lay down some burdens they're carrying, or maybe some loads they need to give to you. God, however you're moving in, our, in this moment, may we be faithful to respond. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This altar's open. If you need to come pray, just come pray. If you've accepted Christ, you were given a handout when you walked in. There's a response at the bottom. Fill it out and drop it in the box as you leave. I would love to reach out to you. But if you're part of East Campus, don't you want us to be whole and healthy? I mean, I do. I think we are, but I want us to stay that way. These things need to be part of our life. And so as we sing, may this be more than words on a screen. May this be the reflection of our hearts this morning. So however the Lord is dealing with you, just be faithful to respond as the band leads us.